Well, thank you, worship team. They did a good job today, huh? What do you think? I think so, yeah. God bless you kids. I'm really looking forward to tonight. Tonight's our core meeting, and I, I, I love our volunteers. I do. Uh, each person, I mean, there's many of us here that are serving, you serve faithfully in a myriad of ways, and uh, Tonight um, is our core meeting. About every quarter we have these meetings where we gather together and celebrate what God's been doing. We've had a really good quarter. We've seen a couple of people come to know Jesus as their Savior this quarter. We've got uh, three new groups that have started up this quarter. Um, the Lego Club is going gangbusters at Bower School. Uh, uh, oh, boy. So, big list of things. So we got a lot of neat things to celebrate. And then... You know, summer is coming, and tonight we'll be praying and looking ahead into the summer as well. Kind of, we take each quarter at a time and, and believe in God for big things this summer. I know our outreach team has some great things planned, and it's just going to be good. I think it's going to be a good night tonight. And so, not to, not to mention the fact that we're getting chicken fingers. So, I, you know, that's going to be, that's going to just be, you know, that's like my, my favorite food in the world. So, that's, that's tonight at 7, at 6 o'clock rather, 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, this morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, I'll be there. Yeah, we're not, we're just, you know, really, I just kind of like, I would feel better if you had it open to it. Uh, but a lot of the verses are just going to be on the screen behind me. And um, this morning is review. So if you're new today, we've been studying in this book, the book of Romans, which is a New Testament book, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. And we've been here, I don't know, it's been a while, six, five, six months, we've been talking through this book. And we spent the last couple of months just in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And so next week, we're going to be starting in Romans chapter 9, and, and I'll be honest with you, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 are th three of the most difficult chapters in the entire Bible um, to, to study, and so you're going to, our experience in them is going to be a little different, and you're going to say, it's like a different book, it's almost like it's another whole book, Romans 9, 10, and 11, but I thought before we move on to that, we've got to just take a day and do a review um, because we've got to be able to put, I kind of feel like we've got to put a bow on this, wrap up some of the principles that we've talked about now for weeks, weeks, and just wrap them all up, package them up, and now we can remember them. I wish I could alliterate them, but we didn't. It's not nice and neat like that, but at least we'll put it in one message so that it makes more sense. Because I don't know about you, uh, but, but I'm, I'm really wanting to make some serious changes. I'm, I mean, my prayer this year is that, that I would become as gracious as Jesus. And here we are in May. It hasn't happened yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> but it's, I, I, you know, I mean, I was just talking to Shirley before the service, and you know, I, 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 love, I love saints like Shirley, because here she is, she's been walking with Jesus all these years, and you know, that lady's still growing, she's still learning about, she's telling me the things that she wants to do that Jesus is teaching her. I love that. You know, you never stop growing. 
Never. And uh, as long as we're on this earth, as long as, I got, as long as I've got breath, then there's something that the Lord wants to do in my life to make me more like Jesus. And, and I'm like, bring it on, Lord. I, I want it. And Romans 6, 7, and 8 have really been about change. How do I change? And maybe even specifically, there's something in your life, you're like, this thing keeps dogging you. And you say, God, I'd love to get rid of that. How do I get rid of that? And, and you find yourself caught in this cycle of, I sin, do something wrong, then I regret it, feel bad about it, then I repent, I'm sorry, Lord, and then I repeat, do it again. And if you've been there, you know how frustrating that cycle can be and how defeating it can be. And so I, I really believe that this morning God wants to put all this together for you in such a way that you get the victory. Would you like some victory? I'd like some victory. So the, the message starts here at this point, and that's this. You are no accident. The God of the universe has been dreaming of you since before he created the world. You are an idea that was birthed in the very heart of God himself long before he ever made planets and stars and galaxies. He thought of you. He thought of you first, and then he created the universe as we know it, as a place for us to live in. I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. Scripture tells us, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God predestined you. God, your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. Your life's going somewhere. You're not just filling up space here on planet Earth. That also comes to the next point, that God intended you for glory. You were intended for glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Where God has taken you is so breathtaking that if you were to see it today, I think it would, you would melt. You, you, it's breathtaking, the glory that God has intended you for, the destiny to which God is leading you. Now, just because you have a destiny doesn't mean it's no guarantee that you're going to arrive there. It's possible to get lost. If I can get lost between here and New York City, I'm pretty sure I can get lost between earth and heaven. Here in New York City is at least on the same natural realm. Earth and heaven, you're talking two different realms, natural realm, spiritual realm. So if it's possible to get lost, not only is it possible for us to get lost, not only is it possible for us to miss the glory, miss the destiny that God created for us, we actually did miss it. That's, we actually did. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see that key word there is fell short. So here's the goal. The goal is this glory. God created you for it. And then here we are somewhere. We blooped <laughs> somewhere over here. We fell short of the glory that God intended for us. 
You and I are a lot like a, a locomotive, a train. As long as you're on those tracks, as long as you're on those tracks, you are powerful and unstoppable force. But take you off the tracks, you're just a hunk of metal in the dirt. The difference, the tracks. You're designed to run on tracks. And the thing about tracks is this. They're both liberating and limiting. They're liberating because as long as you're on the tracks, unstoppable, powerful force. They're limiting because you have to stay on the tracks. And, and our world wants you to think that freedom is found off the tracks. Ah, uh, you don't want to be bound to this. That's so narrow. You don't want to do that. Follow this Jesus guy. He's, that's so narrow. He's the only way. Yeah, there's only one set of tracks God laid down for the human race. You don't want to be that limited. Over here is where the freedom is found. I don't know. I look at the freedom that the world enjoys. I see the pain, the sorrow, the division, the hatred, the on and on and on. And I don't really want that. If that's freedom, I don't want it. I'll stick to the tracks that God created me for. And so we've been Romans 6 and 7 and 8 kind of learning about how to, I guess, stay on the tracks, if you will. And there's three governing principles that have really led us in this whole study. And the first one is this. In this process of change, in this process of, of, being, um, of, of restoring the glory, really, that God created you for, this process, you've got to expect ups and downs. There's going to be good days and bad days. We've heard that. There's, there's going to be bad days. There's going to be good days. But like Jonathan read a moment ago, there'll never be a day that you're condemned in Christ Jesus. That's so great. I love that God does that for us. But there's ups and downs in the process. That's a given. Second one is this. The way to defeat sin is to starve it. You don't beat it. The more you say, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, the more likely it is you're going to do it. The way to defeat sin is not to focus on not doing it. The way to defeat sin is to starve it by going after something better. And that leads to the third principle. You're not fighting actually against sin. You're fighting for a relationship. But see, the devil wants you to think you're in this battle against sin. You're like, you're mano y mano, and you're wrestling with the evil one. The truth is, yes, but no. That's not where my focus is. My focus is I'm running for a relationship with Jesus. And the more I run towards Jesus, the further I run from that. So I defeat sin by starving it, not by trying to stay back here and battle in it. Jesus has invited me up, and I'm going with him. Those are the three principles. Now, one of the things that we've noticed in the last couple of weeks is how frustrating Romans 6, 7, and 8 is. Because like you, I want five steps. How's that for math? I want five steps for overcoming my sin. You, we, all, we, we want that. I'd love to have three steps to success. And I'd love it if you could alliterate for me. And that'd be, that way I can remember it. And then it would be beautiful. But the Bible doesn't do that, does it? Because you see, 
five steps to success really just modifies your behavior. It doesn't change your heart. And God is interested in changing your heart. It's, it's not, we're not putting lipstick on a pig. And I'm not, and I don't mean to call us pigs, but we sort of are with that analogy. As, you, know, you put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. And, and behavior modification is just lipstick. It looks nice. But God's interested in a much deeper change for you and me. He's interested in a transformation from the inside out. And to do that, you've got to change the way that you think. And that's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 are about. They're about changing the way that you think. Because if you change the way you think, you'll change the way you behave. And so, and so this whole series, we've called it Breaking That that sin, regret, repent, repeat cycle, if I could be so bold today, I'd like to suggest that what we're going to do today is actually show you how to repent so that you never repeat it. Because part of the reason why we repeat is we didn't really repent. And here's what I mean. I don't mean to be negative, but here's what I mean by that. So the word repent, it means to change the way you think. The, the Bible word for repent is the word metanoia. Meta, change. Noia, thinking. Change, thinking. So repent is not just that crazy guy on the boardwalk with the roller skates and the long white robe saying, repent, the end is near. That's not, that's not just what repent means. Repent literally means I change the way that I think. So part of the reason why I repeat these bad behaviors is because I haven't changed the way that I think about them. I'm still thinking about them in an old way. And what we've learned in these last couple of weeks in Romans 6, 7, and 8 is that it's really all about changing the way you think. He's told us a couple of things we have to change. We have to change the way that we think about sin. It's the first thing. We've got to change how we think about sin itself. Sin is not just that fun thing I can't do anymore. No. Sin is deadly. It's trying to kill me. It's an enemy. I don't want it. it. Sin is not a puppy. You don't play with it and it makes a little mess on your carpet and you clean it up. Sin is coming after you. It's a murderer. It wants to kill you and destroy you. Scripture tells us this, Romans 6, 16, that whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to what? Death. You're mumbling death. I don't know why. Are we afraid of that? Slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Or Romans 7, 11. It says, for sin, seizing the opportunity, afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to where? Put me to death. So the goal of sin is death. So like I said, sin's not a puppy we're playing with here, and it just makes a few little messes. No, sin is actually trying to destroy my very life. It's trying to take me off. It's trying to rob me of that destiny that God intended for me to have and you to have. And I don't want it to get in the way. How about you? And part of the thing that I need to do with sin is I need to start seeing its destruction, the destruction that it's caused in my own life. You recognize that every, everything that's wrong, in our, you know, you don't need to read the newspaper to see what's wrong in the world. Read your Bible. 
The Bible will tell you the result of all that's wrong in the world is sin. That's the issue. All the brokenness, the broken lives, the broken homes, the broken families, untimely death, disease, division, hatred, racism. You, you, you want to go home. You, you, you can make a long list of all the ugliness in the world, and every bit of it comes back to this one three-letter word, sin. It's all, the, it's all the result of that. So you understand, when you're being tempted to sin, it's not just like this nice little thing. You know, it's, no, it's deadly. Let's, let's call it what it is. And that leads us to the second thing we got to change. we got to change the way we think about temptation. Because temptation is not a choice between what's right and what's fun. Oftentimes, that's how we think of temptation, don't we? And that's why it's so tempting. Over here is the choice between what's right, boring, and over here is what's fun. Oh, I guess I'll choose what's right because I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. As long as I see temptation that way, I might as well be giving into it. I mean, you are giving into it. Remember, sin is deadly, so temptation's not a choice between what's right and what's fun. <laughs> Temptation is a choice between what's killing you and what's going to make you live. Tempta the goal of temptation is to drive a wedge, actually, between you and Jesus. It's designed to split you up. Temptation is a con artist trying to rip me off and kill me. Romans 6.21 says, what benefit did you reap from those things that you're now ashamed of? Do you remember back to being tempted? You've been tempted. And part of the temptation was, oh, it's going to be so much fun. And now you look back on it and you say, yeah, that wasn't nearly as much fun as I thought it would be. That's the question Romans is asking. What benefit did I reap from those things that I'm now ashamed of? Or Romans 7, 8, sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me. Sin produced in me every kind of covetous desire doesn't sound like fun. Or Romans 7, 17. It's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. This, so sin is treated in this passage as like, sin's like an inside job. It's a mole. You want to talk deep state? I got a deep state thing going on in my soul. It's called sin. It's trying to undo all of the things that God is wanting to do in my life. That's what this thing is. And so I see temptation not just as a choice between something that's right and boring and something that's fun. No, it's a choice between death and life. And I choose life. I also got to change the way that I think about the struggle with sin. The, one of the lies that the devil likes to give to you and me, we talked about this last week, is that if you're struggling, it must make you a bad person. Because you're struggling, obviously. Obviously, you're not where you're supposed to be. And, uh, and if you're struggling with sin and you're a bad person, then you know God's not with you. So you're on your own. That's, that's the lie. That's not the truth. That's the lie. The truth is, God's with you all the time. He never, nothing can separate you from Him. I need to see the struggle as normal. If you're struggling, welcome to the family. 
It's, it's actually one of the signs. It's one of the signs that you are genuinely following Christ. When you struggle with sin, it's one of the marks of a genuine Christian. If you're not struggling with sin, I'd be so bold as to say, if you're not struggling, if you don't, if you don't see that struggle or feel that tension in your life, you probably are not saved. And I would encourage you today to take care of that business before you leave. I'm not saying that to put you down. I'm just saying that I'm just trying to give the, this is how it works sort of thing. And Because and, if you are saved, well, then your spirit is now alive. And so you're going to see that struggle. It's, uh, I love it, I, and I've had it happen so many times over the years. Someone who gives their life to Jesus, and they begin to follow Jesus, and then a few weeks, months later, they come and they say, hey, I got a question for you. I, I've been thinking about something. Do you think that this is wrong? Ask whatever, X, fill in the blank. Do you think this is wrong? Because they're starting to think about it. And I always say, congratulations. It's good. That's a good sign. That means the Holy Spirit's living in you. He's working in you because you're finally seeing stuff you didn't see before. You're blind to it before. Now your eyes are open to it. That's a good thing. So the struggle, welcome to the family. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 7. We read this two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I really want to follow Jesus. But I see this other law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. The Apostle Paul saying, I'm struggling. I, I have this desire to serve God and honor God and love God. And then there's these other things that just are and there's a tension that I feel. The tension is normal. That's the bottom line. Change the way I think about the struggle. You're struggling. That's a good thing. Keep, keep going after Jesus with all you got. Change the way I think about my body. I got to change that. Because my body has these desires. And they're good. They're very good desires. God created our bodies with desires. But God created our bodies with those desires to be fulfilled in a specific way. Remember, we're designed to live on the tracks. And when I go off the tracks, I'm just stuck in the dirt. My body has desires. And God says here, as long as those desires are fulfilled within the context that God designed for them to be fulfilled, they are good, they are pleasing, they're beneficial. The moment that I try to fulfill those desires someplace else, in some other way, death begins, my demise begins, it, it ruins, brings ruin to my life. So I need to give my body, my actual body, to God. Romans chapter 6 says this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So where does sin reign? We're this is what we're talking about. My hands, my eyes, my mind, my mouth, uh, you know, my hormones. This is what I'm talking about. Sin reigns in this mortal body. 
Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So I give all of my body parts to God. And we've said that you need to be specific. It's a great thing to pray a general prayer, oh God, I'm all yours. But in your battle with sin, I would suggest you get very specific. God, this is yours. You know, some people don't like the book of Leviticus. They, they don't understand the book of Leviticus because it's kind of weird. You think, why would uh, God care about whether there's mildew in your tent or... You know, Leviticus has all these rules in it that we don't really get. God's telling them to take a shovel when they go to the bathroom and bury it. And they're, you know, all these things. You just think, what to do if you get a pimple? What's, what's that about? Why, why is that even in the Bible? Here's why. And I keep threatening one of these days. I'm going to actually preach through Leviticus just like we do Romans. You're going to watch. So Leviticus is, Leviticus is kind of one of my favorite books. But the big message of Leviticus, really the big message is this. God cares about every detail of your life. When you're, when you're reading Leviticus and you're thinking, okay, what's, what's up with the pimple and the hair? Why are you doing, why are we spending three chapters talking about that with the priest? Why? Because God cares. He cares about your body. He cares about your love life. He cares, he cares about your work life. He cares about your home life. He cares about your, he cares about all, every, there's not a single aspect of your life that God does not want to be involved in. And you see, the devil wants you to think that, well, here's the holy stuff right here. These are the special few little holy things that you give to God at church, and it's great. And then here's all this other stuff. It's bane. God would not be interested. This is dirty stuff. And this is you. You have to fight this stuff on your own. But over here is the holy stuff. That's what the devil wants you to think. And God goes, no, I want to be a part of all of it. I want to be a part of the nitty-gritty stuff in your life. I offer my body and all of its parts to him. And then when I'm faced with sin, when I'm faced with temptation, it's, okay, wait a second. Nope, this body belongs to God. I actually gave it to him. My body is no longer my own. That's the truth. It's not. It's his. And I've only been given one body, and it's my responsibility to steward it well, just like I steward everything else. See, it's, it's not even mine anymore. So it's his. I see my body differently. I need to change the way I think about it. And then I need to change the way I think about God. So the other thing. I was doing this, so I was looking, preparing for this morning. If you go through Romans, I would encourage you to do this. Go through these three chapters, Romans 6, 7, and 8, and just ask this question. What does God do for me? What do these chapters tell me that God does for me? You know, within like five minutes, I came up with these nine. You don't even have to work hard to find these. Here, here they are. God gave us his law. We said the law is actually really a good thing. Because the law tells me where I've gone wrong. You, hey, if, if, you got, if you're sick somewhere, you want to know what's making you sick, don't you? I want to know it so that we can battle it. 
And the Bible says, well, here, here's what's making you sick, human race. It's sin. God's law tells that. So God's law is a good thing. His law is actually a gift to you and to me. It tells us why we've gotten in the trouble that we have. So that's a gift, really. God gives to us the victory that Jesus got. Jesus got this victory on the cross. You and I get this victory. We get to share Jesus' victory. I like to say my walk with Jesus is like playing basketball with LeBron James. He makes all the baskets. I share the trophy. I just show up and take the trophy. Thank you, LeBron. Thank you, Jesus. His victory is your victory. He gives that to you. Jesus, God justifies us. We learned that. And justification means that God takes all that's wrong in your life, makes it right, and gives you a redo, gives you a fresh start. That's a good gift. God adopts us. I love that because God's not just like helping you out like you're some kind of uh, community service project and God's doing a good deed for you. No, he's adopted you as his own daughter. You're my daughter. You're my son. God claims you as his very own. Oh, man, that's the best. And if God's adopted you as his child, then that makes Jesus your big brother God does that for you. God removes our condemnation. Jonathan read that, Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation because none of us comes to God completely, none of us comes to God clean. Let's face it, broken is all we give God to work with. Amen? And God accepts it. And he says, hey, let's just take the shame that you might feel from all those things, let's just take that off the table. God removes that from you and me because he doesn't want there to be anything between us. He removes our condemnation in Christ Jesus. God gives us his spirit who prays for us. Wow, that's awesome. I don't really know how the Holy Spirit prays, but I'm sure that whatever it is he's praying for is good, and I'm pretty sure having the Holy Spirit as a prayer partner would be a really good thing. Amen? So you've got the Holy Spirit as a prayer partner. That's pretty cool. God makes all things work out for the good. Wow, that's amazing too. God takes all, these, all this junk. Yep. God wins with any hand. He does. I've heard Bud say it before, and I like it. It's a really good illustration. We think of, you think of a chocolate chip cookie. If you look at each one, except for the chocolate chips, if you look at each one of the ingredients in a chocolate chip cookie, none of them by themselves is very good. Would you like a spoonful of, of uh, baking soda? Yum. Or a spoonful of flour? Delicious. Or have a half a stick of butter? Go ahead, just eat one of those. Have a good time. You say, each one of those by themselves is not good, but when you put them together, you've got deliciousness cup of milk, you have a little slice of heaven on earth. Can I get an amen for fresh baked chocolate chip cookies? Come on. Yes, they go to, it's, so look at the scripture. All things work together for the good. So right now, you might be choking on baking soda. But the cookie's not done yet. God works all things. God does that. And lastly, God never, ever, 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 ever leaves us alone. Nothing can separate us from his love. 
Now, these are it's a quick list of what God does for us. You look at all that God does for you in this process, and you come to Romans 8.31, you come to that conclusion that if God be for us, who can be against us? Can we read this out loud together, everybody? Read it out loud. If God be for us, then who can be against us? Oh, I have a partner in this journey. That's why I say, you know, all religion does is sell you a system of beliefs. But God gave us Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus any day. Man, you understand, Jesus didn't come to earth to start a religion. God's not religious. We're the ones who are religious. And Jesus didn't come to earth to start Christianity. Christianity is our mess. It's not his. And I don't mean to diss Christianity, like, please don't hear that. But it really, it's, it's, it's our doing. Jesus, Jesus made it simple. Follow me. That's not a religion. That's a relationship. You understand? You hear that, my friends? And Jesus makes the same invitation to you. Jesus would say the same thing. Follow me. Follow me. I'll get you through this mess. Follow me. I know how to do it. Follow me. Okay, Jesus. And I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. I'm with you through it. In the thick and the thin. I'm with you all the way. I'm with you. You see how we got to change the way we think. Change the way we see this battle. I propose to you that we've only ever seen it as a, from religious perspective. Like here's the rules and uh, if you break any of these rules, there's hell to pay. No. No, here's Jesus. And he says, hey, I'm your big brother, and I'd really love to be your best friend. Can we walk together? And here's all these things that are trying to come between us. Let's fight together to keep these things from splitting us apart. And so let me just bring this to a practical close, okay? Like I said, we've got to change the way we think. That's the biggest piece. And that's really what this is all about. Change your perspective on this struggle. That's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 is doing. But I'm going to add to that a little bit. I shared this a few weeks ago. Here's what I do when I'm tempted to sin. And I can tell you from personal testimony, it works. So I'm just sharing with you a little bit of what I go through, okay? And that's this. What do you do when you're tempted? Well, first thing you do is you do this. you got to remember that you and Jesus are in it together. Jesus and I are in this. And the goal of this temptation is to split us apart. And Jesus taught us to pray, Father, deliver us from the evil one. Romans chapter 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? See, Jesus is wanting to walk with me. And I'm walking with him. And he and I are having a good day together. You having a good day with Jesus today? Anybody having a good day with Jesus today? I know I am. Having a good day with Jesus. My back hurts, but we're still having a good day. I like it. You know, I feel like somebody kicked me in the ribs this morning, but it's okay. Jesus and I are having a good day together. And, and this sin, this temptation, the goal of this thing is to, is to mess this up. 
between me and Jesus. And so, okay, Lord, so Jesus and I pray this prayer. Father, deliver us from the evil one because he's trying to mess up our thing today. The second thing that we do is I acknowledge whatever that is that's trying to mess us up, I acknowledge that as a sin because that's what it is. It's not just a mistake. It's not a foible. It's not a problem. It's not an issue. It's a sin. And why do I need to call it sin? Because God doesn't forgive your excuses. He forgives your sin. God doesn't give you grace for your excuses, but he gives you grace for your sin. And so I need to call it what it is. It's a sin. And this thing's trying to mess us up. And so, Lord, Lord, this is sin. This is wrong. And I come to the third step. Father, forgive me for that sin because I need cleansing from it. And God is so gracious, and he promises that he would do that. I like how the Apostle Paul put it. You see it in, in Romans 7 there. Paul comes to this conclusion in his struggle, and he's like, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me from this? And you know what? That's such an important spot to come to in our struggle. Like, God, please, this is so wretched. I don't like it. It's not pleasant. It's, it's not. And it's trying to mess us up, Jesus. Father, forgive me. For this sin. Isn't that great? And then the next thing you do is you got to remind yourself of who you are and what's really going on. Because remember, it's no longer I who do it, but sin who lives in me. We read that verse a little bit ago. It's this sin is this thing living in me. Why? Because in Christ, you have a whole new nature. You're a new creation. You're a new being. Sin, look at what Romans, um, seven, Romans 6 says there. It says that we have been, we've died. I've got to find it here since it, before it comes up. We, you got it there? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, rendered powerless, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You see that? Are you dead? To sin, yes, according to this scripture, you are. So sin's not who you are anymore. You, you died to that. So, so let's, let's embrace that truth. I've died to sin, so this sin is obviously something else. It's not even me. Jesus and I are having a good day. This thing's trying to mess up our good day. And so, so, Lord, I've been given the mind of Christ. That's who I am. That's who you've made me to be. Jesus, you and I are enjoying a good day. So let's just get rid of that. And then, and then lastly, I join Jesus in praying for someone, something. What's, God, what's on God's heart? Jesus is interceding for people. He's constantly praying. It's a privilege that I have to join with him. Because remember, you don't defeat sin by fighting it. You defeat it by starving it. I starve it by joining Jesus in the work that he's doing. And I can pray. Can I tell you that there's some days I go through this process 20 times, maybe more. And it all happens right here between the ears. It's not a, it's not a big deal. There's no, I tell you, I don't hear angel voices. There's no thunder and lightning. There's no pixie dust. There's nothing like that. It's just all going on right here 
or right here. But it's a very real, very real process that I walk through 10, 20, who knows, maybe more times in a day, depending on how often that, how intense that struggle is. And I can tell you, it works. That's all I know. It works. Would you pray with me? Okay. Lord, <laughs> Lord God, uh, I want to thank you because you did everything that, you, that is needed to be done to make me right. You've done everything necessary to heal, to restore, to make whole. And I thank you for that, God. And now I invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way with us here. You know, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in this moment, I want to encourage you to think through something specific in your own life. What is it specific you're wrestling with, struggling with? Once you have that in your mind, walk with me through these steps, okay? Just as we pray in this, in this moment of prayer here. So, imagine you and Jesus are together. Jesus loves you. Man, you're his guy. You're his girl. He just really, he does. He, he enjoys his time with you. And that thing that's trying to split you up. So then, with Jesus, you go talk to God the Father, and you say, Father, would you deliver us from the evil one? Because he's trying to mess us up right now. And then, in humility, you call that what it is. God, that's a sin. And I ask you to please forgive me for that sin. And then remind yourself what Jesus has done for you, that in Christ, you're a new creation. Lord, I, that, that thing, that sin is not even who I am anymore. That's part of the old me and that guy is dead. And, and this is not who I am. Jesus, you've made me a completely different guy. I'm so glad for what you're doing in my life, Jesus. And now we join with Jesus in praying. We say, Lord, what's on your heart? What do you want to pray about today, God? What's on your heart today? Who? What? Father, I sense that what's on your heart in this moment is a desire to become friends with some of us. You're not yet their friend. You've been thinking of them since before you created the world. And here they are today in this moment. And you're saying, I really want them to know how much I love them and to be their friend. So, Father, Jesus and I agree with that heart. 
we agree with that prayer. We, we want that as well. We, we want everybody to know the joy of being a part of your family. You're such a good father, such an awesome God. I'm, I'm just so thankful, Lord, that I get to be part of this. So, Lord, I pray, yeah, we would agree with you, Father. Please speak to those hearts here this morning. Speak to them and draw them to yourself. Yep. Thank you, Lord. I also think that sense on your heart is that you're, you're grieving, Lord, too, because God, uh, our culture is the, the, the all these lies are presented as truth and they're just and they're, they're eating us up they're killing us, Lord. your heart grieves over that. Father, Jesus and I, we, we want to commit ourselves to today to say, to say, what can we do? I'll do whatever it takes, Lord. I want to represent you well in this world. I do. Thank you, God. Stay in your seats for a moment, and uh, we'll start singing this song together. But um, I just feel like it's important to sit tight. And let's make this our prayer, okay, today? Father. Uh,